Romans chapter 8, this amazing letter Paul writes to the church in Rome. And as we've, as we've mentioned, the first five chapters as we've gone through it, Paul tells and explains to us our desperate need of a Savior because there is nothing that we can do in the law, trying to fulfill the law on our own, that could possibly have us to be able to stand justified before God, but because of what Jesus did for us, dying in our place, because he demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, we stand justified, declared righteous before a holy and righteous and perfect God. And as we've moved into chapter six, seven, and eight, we talked about we move from Paul's focus on justification, being declared righteous, to sanctification, that is the working out of this faith, this walk that we are to have. We are to walk in the newness of life that we have been given, as it tells us in chapter six. Chapter seven, that we no longer serve in the oldness of the letter, but we serve in the newness of the spirit as born again believers. This is not something justification or sanctification as we've talked about. It is not imitating Jesus. It's not looking at his life and imitating, trying to imitate what he did. See his holiness, imitate his holiness. See his, his action and his love and imitate that. No, it is about impartation, not imitation. Christ in us. Paul said, it's, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And as we allow him to live through us, it's his holiness. It is his love that flows through us. Now, Paul, as we got into chapter 7, we talked about this new relationship with the law now. The law is not done away with. It's just a new relationship we have with it. He goes on to explain his struggles at the end of chapter 7 with that. The fact that though he is born again, though he is a new creation, he's not the man he used to be, he is still not as Jesus. See, there are still, there are still things in his life that are not Christ-like. And as we talked about that, that brings us comfort as Christians because there's things in all of our lives that are still not Christ-like. And if there's anything in our life that is not Christ-like, that's sin. And sin, and the enemy can use those things to beat us up and to tear us down. But, but Paul said at the end of chapter seven, what wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter eight, verse one starts out, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take comfort in the fact that we're not alone in this, but we don't get comfortable in it either. We need to move forward and we need to, we need to allow again the Lord to work in and through us. And as we finished last week, we got through chapter or verse four of chapter eight. And it says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And again, we can't enforce this and, and underscore this enough. Notice it says that it might be fulfilled in us, not fulfilled by us. That is where, again, guys, the struggle continues all the time. We want, to we want it to be fulfilled by us so that we can somehow take credit, that we can somehow feel good about that in ourselves. And we're going to get to that in a moment as we continue verse 5. But guys, it's allowing the Lord to fulfill in us, not fulfilling it by our own selves. And we're introduced here at the end of verse four, verse four that we the, the fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're introduced to this conflict here, the flesh and the spirit. And we start there this time because as we've talked, we look through the important words that we see at the beginning of verses. Verse five start, starts with the word for, tying it directly to the previous verse. It can be translated because. So let's start again with verse four and then we'll read five and following. 
so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit for or because those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here we see again the clear, the clear setup of this battle. The flesh versus the spirit. The word flesh that is used there is the Greek word sarx. It's used throughout the New Testament, has varying definitions. It can mean humanity as a whole. It can mean the human body, the skin that is on us. But overwhelmingly, and Paul specifically, uses it to speak of this, this nature that is, that is still within us, even as believers. And I, I like this when you think of this. Now, when we look at flesh, an easy way to remember this or to try to help identify this even in ourselves, flesh, if you drop the H and flip the word around, it's self. And that's really what, if you want to get right down to it, that's what it's all about. It's all about self-centered. It's all about self-reliant, self-ruled, self-sufficient. That part of us that still is focused on me, myself, and I, the three most important people, that it's all about number one. And oh, the world loves to, to cater to that in each and every one of us. I mean, just look at the commercials that are around us. You deserve a break today. You do. Have it your way. That's just hamburgers. <laughs> Catering to that king self that still desires to be on the throne, even in our hearts. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, it's important that we understand this, this battle and who, who, the, who the opponents are in this battle, because guys, the flesh is not our friend. The flesh is our enemy. We need to identify our enemy. We need to understand our enemy if we're going to have victory in this, this, this traitor within us. Galatians chapter 5. If you're in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, as you move to the right, Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 19 with me. We need to understand our enemy as well. And here Paul paints a very vivid picture of what, what our flesh looks like as it manifests itself. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here Paul gives us this this outline, if you would, that shows us this, the, the ways that our flesh is manifest in deeds. And he starts out with some pretty blatant ones. And we could label that living in the flesh. 
taking care of the, these desires that, that, are, that are there, again, to gratify ourselves. And he lists several areas of sexual immorality. He speaks of, of drunkenness and partying and carousing. Again, basically going to that, that thing that, as the world would say, hey, if it feels good, just do it. it take care of yourself. Take care of the pleasures. Run after all of those things. And that's what the world would say. And again, feeding that self, that king self that is within us. And for, mo- for the most part, as Christians, those are things that, that we have been able, that we have victory over, primarily even, even from the very outset. However, there are some subtle things in this list that we could label the, the living for the flesh, if you would. Strife, envy, jealousy. It's, it's interesting when we look at that, we don't often look at those types of things as being self-motivated. We say we can, we can defend those areas in our life, but James doesn't cut us any slack. James chapter four, he says this, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that you wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, Paul's, or James is writing to the church. And he's speaking that, that why is there fighting and, and disputes and, and factions within the church? And he said the reason behind it is because you're still focused on your own pleasures from time to time. You don't lay down your life for one another. You'd say, well, what about me? Who's looking out for me? I need to look out for me. And he says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. It's like, well, haven't read about a murder in a church in a while. But we know that Jesus, Jesus laid this all out. He says, you know, you've heard it say that you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, if you harbor hatred in your heart towards one another, you've already committed that act. You've already, you've already committed murder in your heart, but it can even grow out to further out than that. Gossip, slander, speaking about one another, character assassination. Paul, Paul labels this as, again, this is part of the flesh, again, self. And then there's those super subtle even the things that are go way below that we oftentimes can miss and oftentimes over, overlook even into those spiritual areas, the areas of serving in the church, the areas of doing good for one another. And if we're not careful, again, self can creep into that because we want to do it in our own efforts so that we can get the glory, so that people can take notice and look. And Jesus, again, said, be careful of that. The scribes and the Pharisees, they do that so that people see them and give them praise. Don't be like them. And again, that flesh that is there. And the reason I'm making a a point of this, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about this again as we continue on, is there is still a remnant of the flesh in a believer. We are a new creation when we are born again. Praise the Lord. But there is still that flesh, that, that desire for self that is still within us, that traitor And we need to understand that that flesh, that self, that traitor can't be rehabilitated. It's not going to get better. It needs to be crucified. It needs to be done away with. 
if you want to if you want to know it all if if there's if there's that struggle that the part of you right now that is saying what does this guy think he is anyway i knew i should have stayed home and watched the football game this is ridiculous that's the flesh just letting you know but praise the lord as born again believers we're not stuck there prior to we had no choice that was our automatic default but now, as born-again believers, we have the Spirit living within us. That Greek word pneuma, used, used throughout, again, the New Testament, and primarily with two main definitions. If there's a small s for Spirit, that is the Spirit that is within every human being. Human, being is the, human beings are the part of God's creation the tr- that, that have three parts. Everything else either has one or two parts. Everything, is, everything has a physical part to it. Rocks, trees, mountains, animals, you and me, we all have the physical. That's the body. The soul, again, differentiates animals and us from rocks and trees because the soul speaks to that emotional side, that intellectual side that is within us. But the uniqueness of the human being in all of God's creation, created in his image, God gave us a spirit that animals don't have. And that is on that level that we can connect with our creator. So if you see spirit in small s, and you will as we look through a few other verses this morning, that's what that's speaking. But we're speaking now capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is, is he. The Holy Spirit is not a force, a realm, or a state that you get in. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person in the triune Godhead. And the amazing thing, too, about, about the Holy Spirit, notice what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. It capitalized there because he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That he may be with you, how long? Forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit in us. Now, still in Galatians 5, I hope, look at verse 22. We see now the, the, the manifestation of the Spirit within the life of a believer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Love, real love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, joy. Again, what I mentioned earlier, what that, what that nurse noticed when she went into Rick's room was a peace that is not like the world has peace. It's a peace that passes understanding, a joy that goes beyond happiness to something that's unexplainable. To the outside world, that's the spirit. Again, the spirit that is within us. And I love this, and I've made reference to this in John 14. It's important that he may be with you forever. Guys, that is so important. He doesn't check in and check out. As a born-again believer, the moment you are saved, the moment you are born again, he takes up permanent residence in you. 
And that is vital. That is important because as we look in Galatians 5, let's go back up several verses. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. These two factions within us, the flesh and the spirit, the flesh sets its desire. That means continually a constant battle within us against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are never in cahoots. They are never working in the same direction. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. It's, that is an important distinction, guys. We are never gonna get our flesh to line up with the spirit. That, that selfish desire, that flesh in us, we need to understand that that is a constant battle against the things of God in our lives. And as we unpack these verses in Romans out a little bit more, Notice it says that, the, that in verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. I appreciate a couple of translations that extrapolate that out a little bit, so bear with me. Let's read through those. One is the amplified version. It says this, of verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit are controlled by the desires of the Spirit, set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Controlled, pursuing, important understandings as we continue to look at this. Another translation says this, those who live according to the dictates of sinful human nature are absorbed in worldly human things. Those who live according to the dictates of the Spirit are absorbed in the things of the Spirit. I appreciate those translations because it helps paint the picture for us. Because though we still struggle with self, as born-again believers, we are to be absorbed, consumed by, focused on the things of the Spirit, the things in heaven. The opposite, the things of the flesh, Paul defines for us in Philippians chapter 3, for many walk of whom I have told you and those tell and, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who note here, who set their minds on earthly things. Setting their minds on earthly things, fulfilling earthly and worldly pleasures. That's the flesh. And again, we are a new creation in Christ but we, can still, we still have the ability to put on the same old stinky clothes. We can make a conscious, willful choice to walk in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. We can also, and we have to guard against this, we can also deceive ourselves. We can also think that we are totally good that we are actually doing things, godly things, things to serve the Lord and be totally outside of the will of God. Take, for example, Peter. We, we read about this in, in Matthew's gospel. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he asked them, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Matthew records for us, he was an eyewitness of the event. He said, Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, blessed are you, Peter. 
For man didn't reveal that to you. That didn't come through your flesh. You didn't learn that that way. But the, our Father in heaven revealed that to you. That is spiritual. You were in touch with God the Father, and he showed you that. And he, were, he was bold enough to even state that out. And Jesus commands him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Peter. But just six verses later, <laughs> as Jesus is sharing with the disciples, and he's telling them that he must suffer and die, Peter, it says, stands up and rebukes Jesus, saying, that is never going to happen on my watch. Paraphrased. No way, Jesus. And it says this, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. If we're not careful, we can be like Peter. No doubt Peter was thinking he was doing the right thing. I'm not going to let that happen to you, Jesus. I love you. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that doesn't take place. But the problem is he had his mindset on man's interest, not God's. He wasn't hearing clearly. He just was, but he so quickly slipped into this other area. Went from blessed are you, Peter, to get behind me, Satan. Setting our minds on earthly things in the flesh. In the spirit, setting our minds on heavenly things. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, Therefore, if you, have been if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, before coming to know the Lord Jesus, our auto default was to look to the things of the earth. Now, Jesus is telling us, look up here. Keep your focus up, up where he is, where he is seated, on the things above, on heavenly things. God's interests. It's easy for us, again, to, to slip into that. My kingdom come, my will be done. I want that. I'm going to try to get God to bend. I'm trying to bend God's will to mine. No, our heart needs to be your kingdom come, your will be done. Whatever that means, Lord. Setting our heart and our determination for that. But I don't know if, if, if you're like me and some of those things, at times I can be wrestling with that. How can we know? How can, how can I know the difference? How could, how could Peter have known the difference in, in, in that type of thing? Is it possible for us to know? Or are we just kind of shooting from the hip and hope we hit at least 50-50? Well, if you've turned back to Romans, go back to 1 Corinthians. If you're in Galatians, go back towards Romans, about halfway in between. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at this beginning in verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, notice capital S, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit, small s, of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Okay, right to this point, we're probably thinking, okay, that's, that makes sense. 
doesn't change anything. God, the, the Spirit, Holy Spirit knows the things about God. I know the thoughts that are, that are inside of me. Haven't learned anything new. Here's where it comes, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Somebody who's not born again doesn't accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he was spiritual, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? We have the mind of Christ. As a born-again believer, again, Paul said it, it's no long, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ in us. Again, his love his holiness through us. But again, we have the mind of Christ. How do we weigh that out? How do we, again, look, we need to look high enough. We need to look to him. Paul's talking about here, set our eyes on. We see an illustration of this again in, in Genesis. Abraham, Lot. Abraham with his nephew Lot, God had blessed them so much that they couldn't hang out together anymore. They had too many flocks, and the shepherds were starting to fight with each other over the water and over everything that they had. So Abraham said, you know what? we got to split up. You choose whatever direction you want to go, and I'll go the other. It wasn't, they weren't fighting. There wasn't a problem between them. They just said, this is the, what has to take place. And it tells us something interesting about Lot. It said he raised his eyes, but only to the Valley of Jordan. He just raised his eyes up high enough to see the world around him, to have a, a view of earthly things. And he saw the Valley of Jordan, and he saw how beautiful it was, and he saw how perfect it was for all of his flocks and all of his everything. And it says he said he chose, I'll go that way. But you know what else was that way? Sodom and Gomorrah. And he didn't set out to move into Sodom and Gomorrah. By the time that this was going on, it tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah was already notoriously wicked. So it tells us that when Lot moved that direction, he had his eyes set on earthly things. He moved in that direction, but he still had that little spiritual connection. So he, it tells us that he set up his camp outside Sodom. And a ways away, he didn't go to the city. He just went in that direction. But you know what? You keep reading, and just a, few, a chapter later, it tells us that Lot had moved into the city. And then two chapters after that, not only in the city, he was in the gates of the city, which meant he was part of the leadership in the city. Because he kept his eyes on that plane, on that level, that was his ultimate end. That's where he ended up. God, God rescued him out of that. We know the rest of the story. But that is not, that is not the direction that, again, that he was thinking that was going to lead to. But it tells us it leads to death, as we read in Romans 8. But it tells us Abraham differently. It says that he looked up to God. He trusted God. I'm going to follow where you guide me and you lead me, Lord. I'm going to trust on you for my protection, you for my provision, you for everything. I'm not going to look to earthly things for any of that. I'm going to look to you. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
This is such an important lesson that we have to be so careful with, guys, because as we see in verse 6, back in Romans 8, a mind set on the flesh, on earthly things, is death. A mind consumed, absorbed with the pursuit of earthly things leads to death. And just to, at, when we look at that, earthly things, career, money, fame, power, those types of things. Again, we, we, all, we, all need it. we all need job. We all need to provide for our families. That's not what I'm talking about. But when that becomes your driving force, when that becomes what consumes you, that is where the problem lies. I know, I know many people, a couple very close to me, who have made the decision that their pursuit of earthly things supersedes their relationship with God. And it's sad. It's sad. It breaks my heart. Had conversations with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I get it. I understand all of that. Someday. Someday. But right now, this is my focus. And that is such a dangerous thing to, game to play. Because the enemy loves to play on that, on that game table with you. He's going to come and he's going he's to try to tempt. He's going to try to lure. Okay, what will it take? What will it take to have you stop going to church on the weekends and work extra on the weekends? Would it be, would it be a 10-cent raise that you'd, you'd say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give that up? And you say, for 10 cents? No way. Okay, well, how about $10 and a big promotion? Well, maybe. And he's like, okay, now that we got that settled, now we just got to negotiate the price because I know I got you. And as soon as he can lure, as soon as he can get away, I talked with a friend this week whose daughter has raised in the church, you know, professing believer, beautiful Christian young gal, but she has been caught up in the allure of acceptance, Earth, an earthly thing, an earthly desire to be accepted. And again, we all have that within us. That, that's not, that in and of itself isn't, isn't a sin or a problem, but when that becomes our, our consuming thing, to be accepted, then the enemy starts playing that game. And he shared with me recently that she at one time had said, I would never be involved in, 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 in drinking or in partying or in any of that kind of stuff. But just recently she said, you know what? I, I really want to be a part of this group at school. And, and you know, I, if, if I go, I, I, I won't be drinking anything more than, than just, to, just, I, I just try a little wine or, or something like that. And again, the enemy's going, okay. A little concession. Now we just have to negotiate the price again, if you would. Guys, there is no price to pay that is worth it. No price that could be given. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything that you could possibly desire in a godly relationship following after the Lord will be given to you. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The beautiful thing about that is when we set our hearts on the Lord and we say, I'm going to follow after you, it tells us that he'll give us the desires of our heart. He's going to give us his desires first, and then he loves to pour that out to us. And we see that the mindset on the spirit is life, is peace, a life that is everlasting, a life that is abundant. 
peace that is beyond understanding in the world, a peace that Jesus said, it's not as the world gives, but as I give to you, that's the peace we're talking about. I think it's important all the time that we, we take an inventory. We pray that the Lord would show us and reveal to us if there's areas in our life that we had, that where we've taken our, our eyes off of the level where they need to be and we've dropped them down. Praise the Lord again as we're talking about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. We look at verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Born again believer. <laughs> if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, that's, that is, that is the, the, the important thing. The first things first. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If you are a born again believer, the spirit of God dwells in you. If you are not, he does not. Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And if you're here today and you're not, I want to give you an opportunity here shortly to, to pray about that. Invite Jesus into your, into your heart. But as we look at this, verse 9 and 10, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. We look at this, and again, this is a glorious truth. Again, we've been laying all this out here, but let's, let's get to this point. As born-again believers, we have the Spirit of God in us. Now, is the best that we could hope for just, just having, having victory or being able to get up after, after a defeat? One of my favorite parables, you know, parable, they're stories that are told that bring in a, a, a story that, that everybody can relate to because it's current, but it has a, has a spiritual meaning behind it. We know that Jesus used them often. Jewish rabbis used them often. And my favorite one is the, the parable of the college football recruiter. You heard of that one? College football coach, tired of losing season after losing season, gathered all of his scouts and assistant coaches together. And he said, guys, we are going to go out and recruit a different type of player. Guys, we've been bringing in here. It's just not working. So we're going to totally revamp this. We're going to go after a different type of player. There are players out there that every time they get knocked down, they stay down. And one of the guys pipes up in the back of the room and says, we don't want that guy, coach. And he says, you're right. We don't want that guy. There's other players out there that when they get knocked down, they get back up. Knocked down, get back up. But after four or five times, they stay down. The other guy says, we don't want that guy either, coach. He says, you're right. We don't want that guy. There are still other players out there that every time they get knocked down, they get back up. And one of the guys in the back of the room says, that's the guy we want, coach. And he says, no, I want the guy that's knocking everybody down. <laughs> and I think we sell ourselves short so often because we settle for just getting up every time we get knocked down. Guys, we... We fight from a position of victory. And the game plan is simple. It really is. I think, again, we overcomplicate it when King Self wants to get on the throne and, and take control. Galatians, if you're still there, Galatians 5.16. If not, we'll put it up on the screen. But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There it is, guys. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Cause and effect. The order is extremely important. Please note, it does not say, if you do not carry out the desire of the flesh, you are walking in the Spirit. That places the emphasis on us somehow doing this, not carrying it out. No, we are to walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. A story is told again back in Greek mythology of an island that was out in, out in the ocean that was inhabited by these beautiful women who sang this unbelievably beautiful song that was irresistible. They were called the sirens. And as ships would sail by, they would sing their song. And even though the crews of the ships understood and knew that if they responded to that and turned toward the island, their ships would be destroyed and they would all perish because of the rocks that surrounded the island. Yet every single one, every single time, they could not resist as they started singing their song and turned toward the island to meet their demise. And again, what a picture of sin that is. Temptation, the luring, even though we know that the end result but there was a man, his name is uh, Ulysses, the poet, Greek poet Homer tells of this man, and he was determined to hear the sirens and live. So he charters a boat, and he, tells, he gives the, the sailors, the, those sailing in the ship, he gives them specific instructions. When we get close, you are to pack your ears with wax so you can't hear anything, and you're to tie me to the mast in the center of the ship so that I can hear but and, and the, the ship will keep on sailing. And it goes on to say that though he was able to successfully navigate that one trip, it was miserable because he could hear and he so desperately wanted to go, but he had bound himself up with all of, this, all of these ropes and all of these things. He was miserable. He was screaming out, turn to the island, turn to the island. But they couldn't hear him because of the wax. They couldn't hear the song. And he was, he was just miserable and it was brutal. And again, legalism, tying down, weighing down. But there was another man, Onesimus. And it tells that when he set out on, on, a, on a ship and they were sailing by, the sirens started to sing. And some of the other people on the boat, the, the sailors there, started to, as they always did, started to turn the ship toward the island. But Onesimus turns to his friend next to him and says, take out your fiddle and play. He knew this man was a master musician. So he takes out his fiddle and he starts playing. And the beautiful music that came from that drown out the sirens. And, and so they turned away from that and, and, and sailed on by safely. And little did Homer know, his poem would be used in an illustration on Romans 8. <laughs> but guys, it's this simple. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. In the things of earth all of its pull, all of its drag, all of, all of its distraction, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turning our eyes to Jesus, the spirit that is within us. It tells us here, it has this word that is in, our, in verse 10, it's used twice again in verse 11, we'll get to in a second, dwelling 
dwelling, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That means he's not, again, popping in for a quick visit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, guys. That means we give him full access. All access, all the time. There is no room off limits. We can't say, okay, Holy Spirit, you have, you have all of this, but this room is closed off. You know what room I'm talking about, right? That room that, that when you have people come over and you, they, they, they give you five minutes notice that you throw everything into and close the door so that they see the rest of the house. They have no idea what it looked like five minutes ago, but now it's all packed in that room. Oh, don't tell me you don't have that room. I know you do. Every one of us does. No, all access all the time. And when we live that way, when we live that way, guys, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. We get those checks. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're about to make a decision, when you're about to do something, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. When, when you're, you come to a crossroads, you hear that voice, go this way. When we're obedient to that, again, we are walking in the spirit and we are not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And victory upon victory upon victory as we move through. It's amazing to me the questions that I get asked as a pastor sometimes. And I, 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 I can relate to a lot of them because I went through them at, at other times in my life. And, and it's like, okay, well, as a Christian, is it okay for me to fill in the blank? And I'll tell you, most of the time, that conversation lasts two or three minutes, and I don't have to tell them an answer. I just ask them a couple questions. What, what is your heart saying? Well, be careful because your heart is desperately wicked. What is the spirit saying? What's the check inside of you saying? And if there's still any hemming and hawing, usually the, usually the coup d'etat on that one that put it all right away is, okay, if Jesus was in the room with you, would you do it? Usually that's a quick answer to the question. Okay, moving on to the next one. I'll tell you what. It was that question asked of me one time that came shortly after the last beer that I've ever had. Somebody asked me that question one time, and I thank them for that. I, would, I appreciate that. Would you, would you, would you, if you were going to, in this situation, would you offer Jesus a beer, sit down and have a beer with you? And I said, no. Now, this is not a message to tell you that you can't, you can't go home and have a beer. That's, I'm not saying that the Bible says having a beer is a sin. I will tell you, though, when you look at commercials, it's, a, it's amazing to me, again, how the enemy wants to use that because they'll show a bunch of people, you know, half-dressed, dancing around on a party on the beach with fire going and drinking and partying and everything, and at the very end of the commercial, it says, drink responsibly. <laughs> That's an oxymoron in my book, but... But bottom line, again... Asking that question, if Jesus was with you, if Jesus was sitting right next to you, would you pull up that website? If Jesus was sitting next to you on your way to work, would you say that to that guy that just cut you off? <laughs> if Jesus was in your living room, would you talk to your wife that way? Or your husbands, just we're all included, or your kids? Would you talk that way to them if Jesus was in the room? 
Well, let me let, me let you in on something, believer. Jesus isn't in, not only in the room, he's in you. And when we, again, keep our eyes on Jesus, when we start making excuses for our lifestyle and the things that we can let into our life, and I'm not just talking, again, remember going back to the beginning, I'm not just talking about sexual immorality, pornography, or anything like that, or drunkenness, drinking, or anything. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about jealousy. I'm talking about all of those things. When we take our eyes off of this level and we put it up to that level, guys, all of that stuff's got to be done away with, and we can have victory in those areas. We walk in the Spirit. We listen to the Holy Spirit. And we follow after his direction. If you're, if you're struggling with, with this, if you're struggling even with understanding, you know, that God has maybe been silent for a while in your life, you haven't been hearing from him, I just challenge you with this. What's the last thing you know he told you to do? And then do it. Who is it that you're supposed to go talk to? Who is it that you're supposed to go share with? What is it that you're supposed to do? And do it. And watch again as, the, as you just start hearing from the Lord and following after him. Well, let's quickly, closing, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Guys, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And when I, again, when we look at that, we look at this battle between the spirit and the flesh, the same spirit, the same power and the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's not a fair fight. Doesn't have to be. Whoever said it had to be. We fight from a position of victory. Bible will tell us in chapter 8 as we continue to go on through. We're more than conquerors through Christ who is in us. Guys, the battle is won. And this is not our home. Why would we look to a place that we take up temporary residence in for answers to, our, to what we need instead of the place where we're going to be forever? This is not our home, guys. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Praise the Lord. That's what's ahead for us. Let's walk in victory. Would you pray with me and let's prepare our hearts to celebrate communion together this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that it is to us, Lord, because as, as born-again believers, as your children, Lord, you've placed within us this desire to please you, this desire to live for you. And yet we confess again that if we try to do that in this traitor flesh that is within us, Lord, we fail again and again. But Lord, we thank you that we don't fight this battle alone. Jesus, you promised, and we believe the Holy Spirit is in us forever. We thank you for that, that truth. And Lord, our desire is to fix our eyes on you, to keep our eyes on heavenly things. Lord, we thank you that there's no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, if there's areas in our life right now that, that are not pleasing to you, we bring those to you. Knowing we're not condemned, Jesus, you took that punishment fully upon yourself. But we, we do, we have this conviction, Lord, this isn't right, so we confess it. Your, by, your word says that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so we confess that sin to you now. Lord Jesus, we pray that as you guide and direct through your spirit in us, that we would be obedient to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing gift that you've given to us. If you're here today, and you have never given your life to Jesus. You have never trusted in him for your salvation. You are not born again. You know I'm speaking to you because the Holy Spirit right now is bearing witness in your spirit. And it is simply a matter of repentance. That is recognizing that you are a sinner and confessing that before God and turning to him. Just go before God in your heart right now and say, God, I am a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of, of your desire for me, of your perfect standard. My life is not pleasing you. So right now, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I need a savior, and Jesus, I believe that you died to save me. I don't understand everything, but I understand I desperately need you. So would you please come into my life right now? Would you wash my sin away and Lord, I remove myself from the throne of my life, my heart. And Jesus, would you take up permanent residence there? You guide and direct me from this moment on. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We worship you for who you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 